Welcome to the Placebo Magic Podcast, the podcast about theatrical spiritual practice for atheists. I'm your host, Durmak, the wizard and peasant lord of this vast 10-acre realm of Habdur, also known as Farm Code Gary, also known as Garrison Benson. Greetings, Placebo Mages, and welcome to Season 2 of the Placebo Magic Podcast. For this first episode of Season 2, I'm going to finally provide some more juicy detail on my own spiritual history and how I wound up becoming a wizard. To begin with, I was born the third child of a third child of a third child, a pastor's son of a pastor's son. Now, being a pastor's kid is one thing, but being a pastor's kid of a pastor's kid has a certain weight to it. It's not just what your dad does for a living, it's what your lineage does. Being a pastor was my earliest inkling of a possible career path. I grew up in a conservative evangelical church from a small denomination that most people have never heard of. The church placed a lot of emphasis on personal morality, especially with regard to sex and substances. It placed a lot of emphasis on the individual therapeutic value of walking with Jesus, and it placed a very heavy emphasis on heaven and hell, and thus on the pressing need to convert people at home and around the world so they wouldn't go to hell, having never had the chance to hear the gospel. It wasn't a very charismatic church, so we didn't mess around much with speaking in tongues or prophecy or shouting in general. The magic that we practiced was mostly limited to prayer, aside from those few weird old ladies who would pass out literature about the prosperity gospel. And uh, and the magic was also limited to the sort of ecstatic magic of group worship. When I hear from such and such a famous atheist that they have never believed in God and never felt God's presence, their voice loses some authority for me. It's easy to be an atheist if you were never immersed as a child in energetic group worship or in intimate small group prayer. The reality is that when you're in these situations and you were brought up with these beliefs, God really does feel real. His presence is palpable, and from those intense group rituals, it spills over into your day-to-day life. Now, I suppose that coming from a kinder, gentler church, this constant divine presence looming over your shoulder might be comforting, but in a church dead set against sexuality and swearing and worldliness, This God, this conscious being that my brain was constantly simulating, became more and more harsh and judgmental as I came into sexual awareness, as I started watching The Simpsons (gasps) and other sinful media, and as my peers at school got really into swearing and making jokes about sex and drugs. Basically, in Freudian terms, I came to identify my superego as being literally God and my id as being literally Satan. After all, I'd learned that all temptation comes from Satan. I didn't realize at the time how damaging it was to identify one part of my biological hardware as pure, infallible good, and another part as pure evil. I became a very judgmental, hypocritical, and often stiff and unhappy teenager and young adult. I went to a Christian liberal arts college that belonged to one of the mainline Protestant denominations, and there I was exposed to a slightly different flavor of Christianity— much more cerebral and academic, and much more concerned with social justice. 
and in the course of growing into that slightly different tradition, gradually becoming sympathetic to more social causes, I finally started to question the religion of my parents and grandparents. Why didn't anybody in my childhood church seem to care about poverty or climate change? Why in church and youth group did I never learn the complex history of the Bible itself? Why did Earth's fossil records so strongly suggest a history of the evolution of species? Why would anybody be more offended by swear words or homosexuality or nudity than by genocide or poverty or ecosystem collapse? Why were so many of our so-called miracles so hard to distinguish from coincidence? Why had I never seen an obvious, honest-to-God miracle and why had I only ever heard first-hand accounts of, the, of such miracles almost exclusively from narcissistic people? After college, I started working for a Christian nonprofit organic vegetable farm, and through that organization, I entered a network of like-minded, social justice-oriented Christians. A few years later, I built myself a tiny house on wheels and began a lifestyle of simple living, to minimize my environmental impact and to maximize my freedom from economic pressures. During that time, I had a serious relationship that I thought was going to last, but it blew up and in the tumultuous aftermath, I realized that I had a lot of inner work to do. I took up mindfulness meditation, discovering the writings of the Vietnamese Zen Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh at the recommendation of my Lutheran spiritual director. In the course of understanding myself better, I came to understand the extent to which I'd put my ex-girlfriend on a pedestal, treating her essentially as a goddess, expecting her to supply certain strengths and virtues that I wished that I had possessed myself. Even as I realized this, I still wanted desperately to be with her, and I headed down a strange and winding path toward letting her go. I spent a lot of time fantasizing about her coming back to be with me, and gradually I realized that when these fantasies were at their most vividly imagined, the feelings and strengths that I had expected to receive when we were actually reunited were arriving at my doorstep simply because I'd imagined her presence. As I understand it now, I was in, in effect invoking a goddess or saint or ancestral spirit who had little to do with the real person and much more to do with an ideal that I felt existed outside of myself. I began to relate strongly to ghost stories, the stories of people who sensed the presence and power of their lost loved ones in strange and unexpected ways. Over time I realized that I didn't need the real person at all to muster up the strength I received from invoking her memory, and that in fact the strength was coming not from her but from within myself. Slowly by gaining more and more experience of my own strength and my own inner calm, I gained the confidence to accept that I didn't need the image of her at all either. What I had desired all along was not a human individual, but the archetypal goddess that I had glimpsed in many women, and it had been a mistake to try to gain access to that goddess strength through a, a relationship. I instead needed to cultivate it in myself, to cultivate my own personal relationship with the goddess. While the Christian god had been judgmental, moralistic, humorless, Emotionally distant and often wrathful, this goddess was intuitive, empathic, playful, and above all, compassionate. Experiencing the expanding benefits of mindfulness meditation, I wished that at some point in the past 20-odd years of Christian upbringing, I had learned any practice as helpful or as compassionate. All throughout my youth, I had learned that I was supposed to be gentle, chaste, 
self-controlled, compassionate, but I had never once learned how. I had been taught the do's and don'ts. I had been taught to judge myself harshly. I had been taught about the disembodied concept of God's grace, but I had never once been given one single practical, applicable method to achieve any freedom from so-called sin nature. I had experienced neither freedom from sin itself, nor freedom from the constant feelings of guilt. Sitting in church Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, Wednesday evenings, attending a Christian college, I had never learned how to transform my consciousness, my experience of the present moment. Mindfulness practice helped me to detach from my tightly held beliefs and hold them at a distance, and gradually I saw how Christian mythology had damaged me and damaged the world that God supposedly loved, how the idea of man being made in the image of God, the culmination of creation, had supported environmental exploitation and collapse, how the celebrated stories of God miraculously genociding the peoples of the Promised Land so that his chosen ethnicity could colonize it, had supported racism and genocide, how the millennia-long representation of God as male and the story of women as the afterthought of creation and the original sinner and temptress of man had su supported sexism and oppressive patriarchy, and I saw how a real, measurable God had been entirely absent from my life and from the world. I had prayers answered, of course, just like most Christians, and just like how most witches have seen many of their spells work over time. Some prayers had been answered in powerful ways, but the only rhyme or reason I could discern across which prayers were answered and which prayers were ignored, outside of simple coincidence and fallacious logic, was this. Only my prayers for virtue, in other words, psychological strength, had been answered consistently, and those prayers were answered consistently and powerfully in equal measure with how much I was earnestly willing and motivated and properly equipped to change myself. As I slowly lost my faith, I stopped going to church, but I stayed involved in my Christian organic farming community. For a while, several people from this community, myself included, seriously considered buying land together and starting an intentional community, something that had long been a fantasy of mine. The plan fell apart for many reasons, but when it came to my own involvement, it fell apart largely because I didn't want to be yoked with believers, not just with people whose beliefs were increasingly different from mine, but with people who believed and acted as if suffering and sacrifice were inherently sacred, were inherently virtuous. I had tasted a, per a personal connection with the goddess, and I wanted a good life, free from slavish obedience to guilt. Having made so much progress abandoning the habit of getting my spiritual satisfaction through suffering and sacrifice and harsh judgment, I didn't want to be economically intertwined with anybody who did. So in the end, I bought 10 acres for myself in northern Michigan, moved my tiny house there, got rid of my car, and started my homestead. Mindfulness meditation was teaching me to see the sacred and special and artful and luxurious in everyday common experience, and in my enchanting little piece of land, tucked back in the north woods, I saw the opportunity to build a sort of monument to this idea, leveraging my interests in gardening, fantasy world-building, woodworking, and creative writing, as well as spirituality. I decided to see and develop my land as a magical realm, the vast ten-acre realm of Habdur, complete with its own language and calendric system and mythology. 
The idea is not to make a little Disneyland with fake rocks and fake trees and costumed actors playing, playing fake people and secret tunnels where the real stuff happens in secret. Instead, the idea is to use an intentional lifestyle and some small artistic touches to recontextualize the trees and the crows and the wild berries and the mushrooms and the garden fence and the herbs and the vegetables so that when you see those common everyday things that are usually ignored, your first impression is that you've been transported to a magical world. The land itself is the main attraction. The mythology and art and language are just a touch of set dressing. The name of my land, Habdur, is a phrase in my language that could be translated as welcoming space, but it could also be translated as the inviting here and now, the just right present time and place. I named it that to help me to always remember the lessons of mindfulness meditation, that the holy land, the promised land, the golden land, the pure land, the golden age, the garden of Eden, heaven, it's not some other place or some other time in the past or future. It's the present moment and only the present moment. As for myself, I cast myself as the peasant sovereign of Habdur, or the peasant lord, trying to live the good parts of a peasant lifestyle and the good parts of a royal lifestyle, and trying to live the bad parts of neither. I wanted especially to be able to see myself as the wizard of Habdur, but I didn't want to be a fake plastic Disneyland wizard. So at this point, with my upbringing in Christianity, my experience connecting with a goddess that was really just a facet of myself, my losing of my faith, and my ongoing project to mythologize my land with myself as the resident wizard, I was primed to discover placebo magic. One day, somewhere, I don't remember where, I read or heard this one little factoid, that the placebo effect still works when you know that you're using a placebo. That was the key piece of information I needed to connect all these disparate ideas together into one unified worldview that made sense of the good and the bad of my Christian upbringing, that made sense of the good and the bad of religion and superstition in general throughout history. It was a scientific, atheistic perspective that didn't throw out the baby with the bathwater by denying the genuine wisdom contained in the world's religious and occult and mythological and pseudoscientific traditions. While most atheistic worldviews look down on religion as dumb and bad and evil, through a placebo magic lens I could acknowledge all the good that it had done for me, and all the bad, and I could approach other people's traditions, curious and hungry for whatever wisdom and insight they might contain, even when I didn't agree with their cosmology or their politics or even their ideals. That little factoid that honest placebos still work launched me down the rabbit hole of placebo wizardry. I began experimenting with magical and spiritual practices like tarot reading, scrying, lucid dreaming, self-hypnosis, invocation, enchanting, and potion brewing. I began seeking out books and blogs and podcasts on psychology, mythology, and occultism. I began creating a magical tradition specific to my vast ten-acre realm of Habdur. And I began seeking for others out there practicing placebo magic. I didn't know how to find them because I didn't know what they called their practices. When I realized how hard it was to find others like me, I started this podcast hoping to create a resource and a community for those who want a meaningful, imaginative, playful, and fruitful spiritual practice without needing to cling to anti-scientific, fallacious, and hubristic beliefs about the universe. 
the podcast helped me to discover the other communities out there I had been looking for with similar practices and helped me to gradually clarify my beliefs and practices. So that's the story in a nutshell. I left out some details, some highly relevant and formative episodes of my life I omitted to preserve my privacy, and some inspiring books or podcasts I left unacknowledged just for the sake of brevity and because they've either been discussed in past episodes or are bound to be discussed in the near future. But hopefully I was able to tell the story in a way that makes sense and feels complete. Just like how knowing an object's history makes the object more magical, I hope that knowing this story of my spiritual journey enhances the rest of the podcast for you. Now it's time for Bardic Verse. Today's poem is entitled, Reunion. To greet you in our reunion, I've been saving a moment over a slow cup of tea, but I gave it to the cooling evening before last. The footsteps I'd take when I saw you at the fence, kissing the ground with my toes, not wanting to disturb the moment, I gave to my neighbors a couple of skittish ducks. I gave the plastic bag stretched full of root vegetables found under the snow I knew you would like to an acquaintance just before she became a friend. I had a certain half-smile I'd hoped to show you, but the other morning when nothing was urgent, I gave it freely to a sunbeam sprawled across my bed beside me. Come soon, my love for you is becoming so hard to tell from daily care for my own heart and my cast iron skillet and the ducks and the dock plant and the bright moments arriving and gone and the scrap wood stacked so patiently between manifestations. Everywhere I see anew your loveliness, I give away something carried. And now when you arrive, do return, beloved, in time. My hands will be so empty. You can find the Placebo Magic Podcast and my poetry and other writing on the web at farmcodegary.com. Send your feedback to farmcodegary at protonmail.com and let me know if I can read your feedback on the show. Music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. You can support the show by giving us a review on your podcast app of choice, sharing an episode with a friend, or becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash placebo magic. Patreon supporters also gain access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus show. Remember, magic is a metaphor, and metaphor is magical.